Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right. Um, one thing that I want to mention, too, is that our welcome table back there, we want to make sure that most of our information is there. If you're new, we want you to stop by there. If you do fill this Connect card out, we do want you to make sure that you drop it off at the welcome table. They will give you some, a gift with some information about our, our, our church or whatever. But uh, the welcome table, we want to try and get people to go there. That's the information center. That's where we're trying to really corral people to make sure that they connect. If you want to connect in the church, go to the welcome table. If you have a question, go to the welcome table. If you need to drop something off, go to the welcome table. You know, just go to the welcome table. You got that? I think you got that, right? Go to the welcome table. Is that right, Margo? Is it the welcome table? Hey, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of a conversation with a mixed multitude. We learned from uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, that there was such a great multitude that there that they were literally like trampling each other. There was such a great crowd there. And um, Jesus began to speak to his disciples initially, and he talked to them about warnings, that he was warning them about things and um, about, you know, being hypocrites and about, about living for this world and being you know, yearning for the things of the world, being covetousness or co covetous, and and also just the idea of not worrying about how, where you're going to get your means for tomorrow. God's going to provide for you all those kind of things, and then and then the the idea as disciples that we're supposed to be ready, always be ready for his his coming. Right. Amen. Last week we we sort of turned turned a corner for a second. The Lord shifts his focus from his disciples to the crowd, to the mixed multitude, and it was there that he. He came to them with an evangelistic message, really. Started to talk to them about the idea that they need to be made right with God. The fact that they can't stand justified before the Lord in any means other than, than, than Jesus himself. They, they need to be made right with him. He said, before you go to court, i.e., before you die and stand before God, uh, settle your account here. Because you don't want to settle your account in heaven, because if you don't have Christ, your account is going to be heavy. You're going to have the whole book of the law thrown on you. Don't do that. Jesus is pleading. Don't do that. God provided a plea bargain for us, and his name is Jesus. So as we pick it up this morning, that's, that's the perspective we have. Jesus has just gotten done talking to these guys about that. And, and now we see there's a, a shift in focus from the crowd. Stand with me, and we're going to read... Uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. So Jesus just got done saying, hey, settle your account before you stand before the judge. And then he said, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do not think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Uh, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his, gar in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should, I, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what you're going to speak to us about, Lord, the idea, the call to repentance. Father, I pray for every heart in this place this morning that we would hear what your Spirit would say to us personally, that we wouldn't nudge the friend next to us saying, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this, but we would stand honestly before you this morning and say, Lord, I need to hear this. What do you want to say to me, Lord? My ears are open. My heart is ready. Father, speak to us. 
through your spirit about your son this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you recall last week, again, Jesus talking very evangelistic to, these, to this crowd here, and, and he, he tells them essentially, if you guys don't get right, you're going to go to hell. You're going to stand before the judge, and he's going to throw the book at you. Now, that's not a popular message today, is it? It's not a popular message, but it is the truth. And oftentimes, the truth is not a popular message. When we, when we deal with the cultural issues of our day, i.e., you know, which bathroom we're going to use, all those kind of things, when we deal with those kind of things, when truth comes out, it's not going to be popular. Because when you have the majority of people going one direction, and you have a small fraction of people that are standing up saying, no, I believe what the Bible says, and the Bible you know, says that we need to be careful about how we act and the things that we do, and I'm not going to partake in those kind of things. Now all of a sudden, you know, the world's looking at you like you're weird. You're not weird. When truth comes out, the world is going to resist. We understand that. But what, what, heart, what, what I find probably more heart-shattering than anything is when I have a conversation with a Christian who says, you know, something to the fact of, oh, well, you know, I don't really see any issues with these things and whatnot and, and whatever. And, and again, we're not here to stand up to make the world right. We're here to bring Jesus to people. But here's the problem. If the message is confusing, the people are confused. If you're a believer and you're not taking the Word of God and providing it to people, you're confusing people, and then the world has no idea. These people have two different messages. I don't understand. Is it right or wrong? Is it right or wrong? And so as believers, we have a responsibility to the truth. It's not our truth. We don't get to pick and choose what we want it to say. We let the Word speak for itself. We just bring the Word. We let the word stand. Jesus, when he was speaking to this mixed multitude of people, he didn't say, well, what do you guys think? What, what do you think about it? Well, some of you guys think this and some of you think that. Okay, well, we're not sure. No, no, he brought truth. There is absolute truth here. And I think that's another, that was the first ploy of the devil, guys. In the Garden of, of Eden, it was against what? God's word. Can you take God's word at, at, at what it says at face value? Is he really, did he really say that? Or it, uh, here's the most famous thing, or was it just an interpretation? No, because we, 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 we can't interpret the Bible correctly, right? So we have to be careful about you know, the interpretation. Every time you bring truth to somebody that doesn't want to hear it, they say what? Oh, that's your interpretation. No, it's not my interpretation. It's pretty plain here when it comes to what Jesus is talking about regarding salvation you either have it or you don't there is no middle ground there i think i might maybe you either do or you don't and the reality is is jesus is so serious about this because eternity is at stake and he turns to these people who are perishing in this moment in in this place and he he, he brings heavy conviction upon their hearts when he says you're going to be judged and you can see what happens when, 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 when conviction comes upon hearts. The enemy is right there. He tries to rip away the conviction. He tries to take it away in, in many different forms and fashions. It even happened to Jesus. It happened in this text. Jesus just got to insane. Settle the account, settle the account. What happens next? Oh, hey, Jesus, did you hear about the Galileans? Uh, they were probably worse sinners than us. They, you know, did you hear about what happened with Pilate and the Galileans? What does that have to do with you and salvation? Switching gears, the enemy stripping the seed away. He, he, Jesus, understand this. Check this out. He comes to a place where he says, hey, let's not talk about Pilate and the Galileans or talk about the Judeans and the wall of Siloam. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. You ever find that in, in, when you're witnessing to people that they want to talk about everything else other than themselves and about how they, re, you know, their stand before the Lord? You know, you're witnessing to somebody and, and you're telling them Jesus loves you and if you don't respond to him, the reality is that you're going to go to hell. That is the truth and I'm here to tell you that and I'm pleading for you. God has given me the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to come to Christ. Don't you understand? You need Jesus. Well, I just can't understand how 
a God, a loving God would, would, would cause people in Africa that have never heard the gospel before to perish. Are we talking about Africa or are we talking about you? How did we just switch gears? The enemy. The enemy does not want the truth to go out. People, when they're convicted, they deflect. They don't want to hear it. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you've deflected conviction. God convicts our heart because he, want, he loves us. He wants to change us. And he has a remedy for whatever the problem is. Today we're going to talk about repentance. It is the remedy to all of the problems in your life as it relates to you and God. Repentance. Repentance. The title of my message is Getting Real About Repentance. Jesus is not going to hold back as it relates to the very thing that turns a heart to God, repentance. When you realize that you are a sinner and you need a Savior, and the fact is you have to turn away from that life and you're turning to God and you're saying, I'm yours. I just want to talk to you very quickly about repentance. Did you know that that was the main message of Jesus when he came? Repentance. He didn't talk about personal holiness too much. He didn't talk about, you know, he didn't, he didn't really talk too much about uh, uh, theological positions and how they should get their theology right. He talked about repentance. He talked about getting right with God. He, he came to save people. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, as Jesus starts his earthly ministry, here's what, what, what Matthew records for us. Here's the message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his main message when he came. John the Baptist, the, the forerunner, was teaching a teaching of what? Repentance and baptism. Repent, turn away from your old life, turn to God. When, when the Pharisees and Sadducees, or Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus why he ate and drank with sinners, his response was this, Luke chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. Those who are well need no, need, uh, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call the righteous. I have come, geez, I messed this whole verse up, man. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It was a message of repentance. Jesus, his message and his mission was to call sinners to repentance. Notice, I have not come to call the righteous. That is a futile call. It's a, it's a complete waste of time to call the righteous. You know why? Because there are none. If Jesus were to show up and say, I'm only here for the righteous, he'd be the only one standing. You understand that? The Pharisees missed that completely. They were, oh, oh we're here, Jesus. Here we are. Oh, I'm, I'm looking, no, I'm really looking for righteous people, not you. You're not righteous. You think you're righteous. Uh, when it comes to righteousness, we're not talking about self-righteousness. We're talking about God-ordained righteousness that only comes by faith through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where our righteousness comes. The Bible tells us that there is none righteous, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. He came to call them. That word, call, you're familiar with the, the word election. You see the word, the elect. When you look at that word, that is where it comes from, the call of God. He's calling the elect. Who are the elect? He's calling any of those people that respond to the call. That's the elect. Jesus, when he was calling out to all people of all nations, anybody and everybody, the call went out to those who responded were the elect. Those are the ones that he, he, he had chosen. He, he had offered, but notice the call went to all people. God does not will that anyone would perish, but all would come to repentance. All would come to repentance. That word literally means to change one's heart and mind. Zodiades put it this way. He's, he said, Theolo theolo theologically, it involves regret or sorrow accompanied by a true change of heart towards, towards God. So repentance is a decision to turn from your former life to begin uh, to live for God. That's what it means to be repentant. And I think in our culture today, in the church in the modern church, that, that word has lost its kind of meaning, its impact, what it stands for. Just tell God you're sorry. 
and it's okay. It's not only just being sorry about what you've done. It's not sorry I got caught, God. That's not repentance. Repentance is, God, I'm sorry that I offended you. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. My heart breaks that I would, that I would sin against the one who created me. Lord, I'm turning away from that sin and I'm turning to you. It's a decision, but it requires death to self. That's true repentance. The word repent in the Greek, metanoel, meta, is the prefix that regularly means movement or change. Noel refers to the mind and its thoughts and perceptions and dispositions and purposes. So the basic meaning of repentance is to experience a change of the mind's perception and dispositions and purposes. It's completely living the opposite way that you are living. It's a choice. And God's given you the power through His Son, Jesus Christ, crucified by His blood, to come to Him in repentance, to accept His sacrifice on your behalf. Then He fills you with your Holy Spirit and He allows you to live, to continue to live a life of repentance. It's a different call. It's a different type of repentance. There, you know, the first call to repentance is a repentance to salvation. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. He said, it, for even if I made uh, you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you're so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what lodging, or what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent. In the matter, Paul is saying to a church that was completely and totally fleshly, I wrote you a scathing letter of rebuke. And I felt bad for writing the letter initially. But I saw the effects of the letter, repentance. So then I didn't feel bad anymore because I realized that God used this letter in your life to turn you away from your sin and to turn you towards God. And for that, I'm grateful. That is, Paul would say, true repentance. J.I. Packer said this. He said, repentance is more than just sorrow for the past. Repentance is a change of mind and heart, a new life of denying self and serving the Savior as king in self's place. How many of you in this room would say that you're intimately familiar with repentance? Anybody? Just a few people? I would think we all would be. I think we would all be familiar with uh, repentance. Because repentance is how we come to Christ, and repentance is how we continue to commune with Christ. It, as, a, as, an, as an unbeliever, it's, it's the means, it's the way that God's provided for us to come to Him through His Son. Jesus Christ is the way. But we do it by means of repentance. We turn our heart from our life, turn our heart towards God. We accept what He's done for us. Listen, when there's repentance, there's always faith. When you're repenting to God, you're believing that God has the capacity and the willingness to not only cover your sin, but to strip it away completely. Repentance can be activated without faith. Do I really believe? So therefore, if you're repentant, you are full of faith. That's how salvation happens. You believe that God can, can take away your sin. But when you become a believer, it changes a little bit, but it's the same means. Repentance. When we sin against God, Christ has paid for that sin. Past, present, and future. You, Romans 5.1 tells us that we are justified. It's just as if we hadn't sinned. And it's not like you know, if, we, if we get saved and then the next step we, we, lose, you know, we lose our salvation because we sin. That's not how it works. When you're justified, you're justified. God has hit the gavel upon the, the, the whatever that little piece of wood is there, you know, the, the altar, whatever that thing is. And he hits it and he says, declare not guilty. You're not guilty. You know, they're, they're not going to bring you back. We need to try you again. Hold on. We're not sure if you're guilty or not, so let's bring you back. No. It's not the way it works. You're not guilty. You've been paid for. You've been bought and paid for. But as a believer, 
when, when, our, when we sin after the fact, after we've come to Christ, there's a fellowship that's broken with God. There's a fellowship that's broken with the Holy Spirit. We read it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're redeemed. You're redeemed, but your sin grieves the Holy Spirit. You break fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, you get right with Him. You repent. You turn away. The Holy Spirit inside of us is not only God's signet, you know, His sign upon us that we are His, it's the power within us to live a holy life. And we, or it's, it's a power in us to do whatever God calls us to do in life, but we are holy before Him. If we sin, you know, we break that fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And God says, hey man, just, just get right with the Holy Spirit. You buy, it's by repentance, the way that we do that. So there's two different types of repentance that, we're, that we know, you know, and, and what Jesus is talking about in this passage is primarily salvation. He's talking to unbelievers. He's talking to a mixed multitude of crowd. He's saying, you guys need to get saved, so you need to repent. But for us as the church, for those of you who are Christ already, there is that element of, that we have to apply to our lives, the continual need for repentance. That when we blow it, we make it, we make it right. That we come before the Lord, we turn away from our sin. That is sanctification. It's that process of God just getting out all of us and letting His Son work, uh, work through us and, and live through us. Jesus wants to get real about repentance. And my prayer is that we get real with him this morning about where we've been and what we've been living for, what we've been doing in life. So Jesus, again, comes to this crowd. He's talking to them. And it's, they, they, they deflect conviction here in verse 1. They tell him, there were some at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, we don't really have any information whatsoever on this event. There's no other gospel that talks about it. There's no history that even re relates anything to this specific thing that whoever in the crowd is bringing out. But, but Jesus didn't even really seem to address it in the, the passage. But the reality is Pilate was a wicked guy. Pilate hated the Jews. Pilate didn't want to be in, in, in Israel. He didn't want to be there. And so he was stationed there. It was probably one of the worst jobs you could have you know, being a ruler in Rome, and he got placed there, and he didn't like it, and so he took it out on the people, and the people didn't like him being there either. So there was a rebellion there, you know, and, and although we don't have an account of this specific account, there was one time where, where Pilate wanted to build an aqueduct from Solomon's, from the pools of Solomon to Jerusalem, and so he didn't, he basically, you know how they would do that back in the day, is they would tax people. They'd just say, oh, we need to build an um, aqueduct, so we're going to tax you more. That's not how Pilate rolled. He just take money. So he, went, he told the Jews, well, I'm taking the money. I'm taking the money out of your treasury. So he went into the temple. He took the money out of the treasury, and he built his aqueduct. Well, the Jews rebelled against him, and they stood up against him. They started to cry out, you know, the injustice that had happened. You know what Pilate did? Pilate had soldiers dress up as citizens, and they would mix themselves in the crowd and at his signal, they just take out their dagger and start stabbing people and killing them. You guys want to complain about me? I'll just kill you. In fact, Pilate got removed from power because of how brutal he was with the people. So we don't know specifically about this instance, but what we know that he was incredibly, incredibly wicked guy. And what we find here is that there are those in that crowd that heard what Jesus said, and they want to switch gears. They want to change they want to change direction on the conversation. Hey, let's talk about how bad other people are. Or let's talk about why bad things happen to good people. You ever had that question? You ever, you know, when, when an unbeliever comes up to you, well, I just don't understand why there's evil in the world and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we want to talk about these big picture issues, you know, and, and rather than just talking about us, let's just stay right here, you and me. Let's not talk about the entire world's problems here. But that's how you deflect conviction. Is you just bring it to something else. That's what's happening here. Jesus, in turn, just brings it right back and confronts them regarding the human condition. He doesn't say, you know, so, he, so check it out in verse 2. He answers them. 
Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners uh, than all the, the Galileans because they suffer in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. <laughs> and then he brings another example into this. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Notice with me, Jesus answered them. Do you see a question here? Did Jesus ask them a question? No, he didn't ask them a question. It appears that in their statement that Jesus perceived that, that they, there was some underlying theology that he was going to address as it relates to, to God's judgment upon the earth and upon people. See, back in this day, the Jews thought that when bad things happened to you, it was because you were a bad person. When good things happened to you, it was because you were a good person. You know, and so you, kind of the idea was you sow what you reap kind of thing. And if, you, if, you're, if you're doing good, then you're always going to be good and things, good things are always going to happen to you. But if you're living not right, God's going to um, allow all kinds of stuff to come in your life. But that isn't the way it works. In fact, when you read the Bible and you look at the accounts of the Bible, that's not the way it works at all. Sometimes it does. I mean, you, we have examples of personal sin where God judges. I'll give you an example of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar saw, you know, had this great encounter with God and all this kind of stuff. And before you knew it, he was back to saying, what a great kingdom I've made. And his pride, God judged him for the personal sin of pride. Thank you. Does my voice sound bad? <laughs> but so God judged, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar in that moment, his back became like feathers of an eagle, you know. His, his hands became like claws. He... He ate the, you know, the, the grass of the fields. I mean, he became an animal, literally a beast. Why? Personal sin. There, that was God's judgment upon him. You know, we see that in the New Testament with Sapphira when they actually lied to the Holy Spirit and they died on the spot before Peter. So it's not to say that God doesn't do that, but in general, that's not the way it works. In general, you know, when God wants to do something, he... He's going to do what he's going to do, but ultimately, the way it works is pretty much, you know, the Lord's sovereign over everything, but he allows certain things in our life to happen so that, you know, we can press into him more, so that we can come to know him more. Ultimately, it's not really a matter of personal sin sometimes. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is the reality. And so Jesus starts to talk to them about, well, why do you think that they're worse than you, or that they're worse Galileans than any other Galileans because this happened? Jesus says, no, your theology's bad. No, no, absolutely not. Emphatically, no, Jesus said. He didn't, even, he didn't even give any kind of other explanation other than, no, you're wrong. Oh, and by the way, let me bring up another example. You know when the 18 people died from the Tower of Asylum that fell upon them? Maybe it was dilapidated from not being repaired or whatever. We don't know what happened, but it was... The first thing was at the hand of evilness, right? It was at the hand of Pilate. The second thing that he brings up is a natural disaster where it was just a tower that was sitting there and that just collapsed on people and 18 people died. So Jesus says, do you think that... The, and, and by the way, probably the guy that brought this up about the Galileans was probably a, um, from Judah. <laughs> and so he wasn't even, he's probably... He's probably um, you know, not a Galilean, so he brings that up. Oh, look at those Galileans. They're bad people. So Jesus says, oh, but what about the, what about the Judeans? What is it? Judeans, yeah. What about them? Oh, yeah, the tower fell upon them. So does that mean that they're worse than the others? No. Jesus said again, no. That's not it at all. And, you know, when stuff happens in our world, whether it's at the hand of an evil man or it's at some sort of natural disaster, whatever, oftentimes there are people in the church that are running out to the world saying, see, God's judging. See, this is what God ju God's judging these people for all this stuff. You know, when 9-11 happened, there's still people saying, you know, that was totally God's judgment upon, um, you know, the United States and on those people in there because they're evil people and wicked and all this kind of stuff and because it represented the uh, financial power of our world and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, it happened because evil people got in planes and ran them through uh, buildings. That's why it happened. Why does God get the glory for those kind of things? Why does he get the blame for those kind of things? You know, I mean, it's interesting how our world looks at God. You know, we have to get 
insurance against God. You know, well, oh, you got to buy, we got to get insurance against those acts of God, you know, like destruction, floods, you know, tornadoes, all these kind of things. But, but you know, he never gets the credit for life, you know, for, for goodness, for, for, you know, good things that happen in the world. That's the world's view of him. And so when the church runs out or when somebody, some looney tune runs out from the church and starts to say those things, the world's going, yeah, I, I totally get it, man. That God is not a God that I want anything to do with. It's like, really? What about when Katrina came? How many of you guys heard that that was God's judgment against New Orleans because of their wickedness? Anybody hear that? Yeah. Yeah, th th that was God's judgment. You know, but Jesus just said when natural disasters strike, that it, it wasn't necessarily a result of anyone's sin, that anybody's worse than the other. Because let me tell you, if God's going to judge sin, he could just judge us all. None of us uh, can stand before him, Right? He's going to judge sin the way that, you know, like, like, like God can't stand any sin, not just some sin. Oh, that's too much sin. Any sin is abomination before God. One sin is abomination before God. So, uh, you know, don't be quick to start thinking that. So Jesus is addressing a bad theological um, position here. But he, notice what he does. He just brings it right back to you. No, that's not right. But what about you? Let's talk about you. Unless you repent, personal. Jesus just got personal with them. Unless you repent, all of you collectively will, will perish. He's telling them that it's not about other people. It's not about other people's sin. It's not about other people's relationship with God. It's about you and Him. What about you? We shouldn't be asking the question, God, why did this happen? But what does it mean to me? Why did this happen, God? No, wrong question. What does it mean for me? These Galileans experienced some sort of you know, judgment against them by Pilate. They died. They stood before their maker. They stood before the judge. These people that, were, that you know, got toppled by the the Tower of Siloam, they died. They stood before the judge. What about you? You will die one day. And I want you to understand that if you die outside of repentance, you will not die. You will perish. You will perish. Eternal destruction. Yes, he's talking about hell. This is a reference to eternal damnation. He's saying, I don't want you to perish. Isn't there a scripture in the Bible, one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible, John 3.16, that says God sent His Son, that you wouldn't perish? Yeah. God sent Jesus to this world so that you and I wouldn't have to perish. Literally, utter destruction. In verses 3 and 5, Jesus addresses the human condition, unless you, and He's talking to everybody at that place. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is the way of escape, is what Jesus says. Right here, repent, turn away. I, Greg Lake, he has a shirt, man. It just says repent on it. I'm like, dude, you should wear that shirt more, man. Repent, because that was Jesus' message. Repent. Repent. We, you know, when people hear that today, doesn't it kind of be like, oh, what is that? Oh, repent. Oh, I'm not sure if I like that word. It's the way of escape. We probably should use it a little bit more and in the right context, in the biblical context, in the biblical definition of what it means not to just pray a prayer of salvation in, in terms of, Lord, I need to be saved because I'm bad, but more so, God, I'm sorry I offended you and all I can do is, is bring my life and say, I'm changing. I don't want to live that life. I'm accepting your sacrifice, Jesus, on my behalf. That, those are the only options. We're not saying to God, you know, sorry, God. But we're saying, hey, God, I'm sorry enough to change. I'm sorry enough to turn away. And then God infuses you with the power to change. When he sees the faith, when he sees your willingness to surrender to him totally. When Peter stood in Acts chapter 2 after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the most marvelous ser sermon Peter, Peter gave, you know, up to that point. Probably the only one. But he, but he said this. He got up and he talked about Jesus. And in verse 37, here was the response. 
brothers, what shall we do? The crowd, after Peter got them speaking, said to, to, to the disciples, the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, repent. Repent to turn away from your sin, to turn to God. Be baptized. It's an outward sign of, of something inward that's happened. You're being baptized not unto salvation. You're being baptized as a result of salvation. You're being baptized saying, I have repented. That was the whole point when John the Baptist was calling people into, uh, to be baptized to repentance and baptism. They repented and then they were baptized as a sign of their repentance. That's the purpose of baptism. It's a sign. It's a declaration to everyone watching that I belong to Jesus now. I've turned my life. I'm, you know, I'm not the same person. I am different. Jesus is telling these guys, don't focus on anyone else but yourself in this moment. Focus on you. Because if you don't, you will perish. Notice he doesn't say, you know, he, he, he still keeps it in the personal form. You. He's talking about all collectively, but all, personally, you, will perish. It's a personal message that God has sent from His Son to you today. Repent. Well, as Jesus often likes to do, He illustrates the point here with a parable. Going, moving on in verse 6, He says, And He told us this parable. And man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig up around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next, week, next year, well, and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Now, many people, again, have this incorrect view of God that he is some merciless you know dictator that wants to slay people you know he, whack them Lord whack them all Lord you know kind of thing that's that's the God father not God the father that's the whole different God father so that's not God Jesus turns the hearts of man now to give an illustration of who God is you need to repent. I've convicted your heart. You already know what you need to do. You need, now let me tell you why you can do that. Let me tell you why. Because God is a merciful God. And He loves you. And He's doing everything He can to reach into your life and give you time. You know, many of us are like, like the field owner and we say, Lord, how long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to put up with this evilness, Lord? How long are you going to allow this person to live in this way, man? Lord, why don't you do something about this? Just, and the Lord's patient. And He's merciful. And He's working. And He says, just give me another year. Just give me another year. Let me fertilize the ground a little bit more. Let me deal with that person in a way that maybe I can massage their heart in a, in a different way. But, but give me another year. If I don't see fruit, then I'll cut it down. This isn't a matter of time frame. But what Jesus is saying here is that there is a time when God will say, it's over. Time has ran out. If there's no fruit in someone's life, he's going to cut the tree down. Jesus is telling these people in this crowd here that it's about, how do I know if I have Jesus? How do I know if I've, if I've truly repented because there'll be fruit in your life? You see, what he was really doing is giving an illustration of Israel because the fig tree is a symbolic of Israel. And what Jesus is saying is there is no fruit in Israel. And God has sent me for three years. Check this out. Jesus has been in ministry for about three years. So here's what's happening is Jesus is saying, I've been here ministering to you guys and I see no fruit at all. There's no fruit at all. But God is, God is merciful and he wants to give you more time. And he's going he's gonna to fertilize the ground a little bit more, i.e., by the way of my disciples, 
And they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they're going to come in and they're going to con- spread this gospel. But there will be a time, Israel, when I will cut you down if there's no fruit in you. If I don't see the nation turn back towards me. And that was often God's relationship with Israel as a nation. That's what you get for being the chosen nation of God. You get judgment first. That's what the Bible says. It comes first to the house of the Lord. And so the Lord tells Israel, if you guys don't turn away from your self-righteousness, from your rule keeping, from all these kind of things, and your, your pretend fruit, you know, they are literally the people that go out on the tree and, and tape up, you know, the plastic fruit. You know, whoa, look at all this fruit I got. It's just awesome. It's all taped on there and stuff, you know. The Lord's saying, that's not even real fruit, man. That's fake fruit. You know that lady with the hat that wears the fake fruit stuff? That, that's not real fruit. That's fake. But they, 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 they have some sort of an element of fruit, they think. But it's not fruit. So what happens? Jesus is making a prophetic word, uh, giving, declaring a prophetic word to them right here, saying, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut down. And what happened? They were cut down. 70 A.D., you know, Rome comes in and takes them over and cuts them down, chopped out of the way. There's no more, there is no more uh, uh, Jews in Israel. They're gone. They're, they're booted. They're, they're completely out of there. And so Jesus says, listen, don't turn away. You want to know how God is relating to you? He's being merciful. He's trying to, manu- he's trying to, he's trying to um, fertilize the ground. He is trying to, to um, cause you guys to bear fruit, but if you don't, it's going, you're going to be cut down. There is going to be an axe laid to the root, and that's exactly what happened. What would Jesus say to us today? I think the word that he would give us is John 15, 1 through 6. And it says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may be more fruit. So there may be so it may bear more fruit. Already you have you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. What does God say to his church? He says, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. So oftentimes, we are trying to muster up enough strength to bear some fruit. I I saw an incredible illustration one time when we lived in Florida we had an orange tree in our backyard. And this thing would not bear any fruit. It was fruitless. I was like, you know, this is a worthless orange tree because it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to produce oranges, and it's not. And here's the thing. is I'm watching this tree, and I just keep fertilizing. I keep messing around with it, trying it, watering it, whatever. I, I keep tending to it. I keep ministering to it. I keep laying my hands upon it and trying to get it to, to bear fruit. And you know what? It did. Eventually, one single tiny little orange. And I was like, yes, yes. And then we moved. So I don't know what happened. But God wants you to bear fruit. But did you hear what Jesus said? You can't bear fruit if you're not abiding in him. And what is the reality? How do we know um, that we're saved and whatnot. It's not about whether we're, you know, ha, ha, it, it really comes down to fruit in our life. Is there fruit in your life? Because here's the thing is there's no way that you can be in Christ and Christ be in you and you not bear a single thing of fruit. There's no way. It's impossible. Well, the, the fruit that Jesus always bore was doing the will of the Father. Jesus always did the will of the Father. And if Jesus is living in you, then, and you're abiding in Him, guess what's going to happen? You're going to do the will of the Father. Because Jesus always does the will of the Father. 
So it's not a matter of you mustering up more strength to bear more fruit. It's a matter of you surrendering your heart more to Him so that you can bear fruit in Christ. That's what it comes down to. So oftentimes we complicate the Christian life by, Lord, what do I need to do more? I've got to do this more. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to get on my knees more. I've got to do this more. I've got to do that more. And he just says, let me just make it simple for you. Can you just repent? Practice repentance and just abide in me. Can you just do that? I told the guys in Bible study on Thursday night that the Lord... I'm always coming to the Lord asking him what I need to change, you know. And self-examination is good and all that, you know. It's good, it's good for you to do. But not when you are so focused on what you need to change that you're not enjoying your relationship with the Lord. And you're so hyper-focused on, okay, I need to, what do I need to change now, Lord? What do I need to change, you know. It, and, and, and so I was at the track the other day and I was um, running and, and I, after I was done, I, uh, I said... I just got done teaching youth group, but this is, this is several weeks ago, but, and I was just, just got done teaching on um, Revelation chapter 8, and it said that there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. And I was like, we should be silent before the Lord, guys, and just let him speak to us, because so oftentimes we're just, and the Lord's just saying, but, 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 you know, just, just maybe just rest and let him speak a little bit. So I was telling the kids, hey, just, just be silent before the Lord, you know, let him speak to you. And, um, I, I thought, well, hey, I should probably practice what I preach. So I was at the track, and I got done running, and I said, oh, I'm just going to hang out. And uh, so I, I said, Lord, as I always do, what do I need to change? What are some things that you want to do differently in my life? Like, what do I need to cut out? You know, just give me a list of stuff. We'll work on it, right? And, and it was funny because I just left it at that, and then I just started walking, and I just was meditating. And I was just looking at the beautiful scenery, and I was just, you know, not really praying or anything, just really sitting silently before the Lord. And, it, and, and all of a sudden I saw this, this picture um, of Jesus out in the middle of this field where I run, and it's kind of like taller grass, you know. And I literally saw, not, not you know, like the picture of Jesus sitting in this field with his disciples sitting around him. And, and he was standing like this, and he was just joyful, man, just having a blast. And his disciples, bro, they were all laughing around him and everything like that. And then the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, just enjoy me. Just enjoy me. Not, here's, 50, here's a list of 50 things that I want you to do. There are more than 50 things that God needs to do in my life. I promise you. But rather than focus on the negative, God just said, hey, can you just focus on the positive and just rest in me? Just enjoy me. I think Jesus was saying to me, just abide in me. And all that stuff will take care of itself. If you just abide in me, the fruit that you desire in your life will come out. That's what he's telling you this morning. You know, so oftentimes, Dan and I had do a Bible study together on Wednesdays. And in our study this week, um, the guy was saying that, uh, Matt Chandler, is the, we're doing a study with him, and the, the, he was saying, you know, so oftentimes we memorize all the negative scriptures that relate to the sins that we're de dealing with, you know. You know, uh, if you're, you know, drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we get that in us. That's the negative side. Why don't we focus on the promise? You've been set free in Christ. And memorize the promise rather than, the, 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 they're, both at, they're both profitable, the Bible says. But, but I don't know about you, but I'm so honed into the negative side that I forget about the promise. But if we would focus on the promise and let God just speak into our life, how different we would be. Because you understand, when you're focused on the negative, it's I can do it. But when you're focused on the promise, you're just receiving. And so I would say to you guys this morning, you know, the Lord, first of all, is calling us to repentance. He's calling us to bear fruit. He's calling us to turn, to, to turn away from whatever's in our life and turn to Him. But He's also saying, just when you do that, then just abide in me. And I'll produce fruit in your life. So I don't want to just leave this morning and, and, you know, it be like, oh, well, that was great. I'm out of here, you know, um, and there's no change. You know, we, we don't do anything different or anything like that. I think that's what happens sometimes. And I, I know in a small congregation, you're like, boy, I'm kind of nervous. I don't know if I, I don't want to come forward to the Lord or I don't want to do this. I don't want to come up and pray with somebody. Somebody might see me and they might think I'm a sinner. Hello. 
We already know that. We already know you're a sinner. Uh, you all know I'm a sinner. We're sinners. Here's the burden as the pastor of this church for me is that there are things going on in your life and there's things that you're carrying on your shoulders that the Lord is just saying, just bring it to the body. Let the body minister to the body. And you know, so oftentimes we call for prayer and we ask people, do you want to pray? And, and no one comes forward, right? And then, and then two or three weeks later, you hear somebody's going to file for a divorce or something. And you're like, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? And we could have prayed. We could have asked God to deal with your situation. And you know what it is? It's pride. It's, it's, a, it's being afraid to step into the, the light and say, Lord, here I am. I'm ex now you're exposed. But let me tell you something. The enemy has no power in your life when you're exposed. He has nothing to hold against you. I just want us to be free in that. I'm not telling you that you've got to do this or that or whatever. That's totally not me. I'm not a guy that's like, oh, if you don't come forward, then God doesn't accept it. No, that's not the way I look at it. What I'm saying is, is don't leave here without doing business before the Lord. And if God is laying something on your heart, lay it down before him. If, God, if you've got something going on in your life, grab um, somebody that has a, le a little servant tag on it or, or whatever. Come up front. We'll pray with you. People will meet you up here. We'll pray with you. If you just want to come and silently sit before the Lord, do that. All I'm telling you is, is be free. Don't be bound. Let the Holy Spirit move. Because God is calling us into this fruitful life. And if we will just by faith step into it, you're going to be blown away at what he'll do. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word. And just for the simple message that you gave, Lord, that you just brought it right back to us personally, that even this morning that you're calling us to a life of repentance. And I pray, God, as we close in this song, that you would help us to just be repentant in our hearts. If there's things in our life that don't match up to your word, <laughs> this, it's literally just coming to you saying, God, I'm turning away from it. And you don't even have the power to do it. We don't, Lord. But you tell us if we come by faith, you'll, you'll give us the power to do it. You've given us the power through the cross. So in a, actually, we do have the power to do it. And this morning, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would, in fact, turn away from things in our life that aren't supposed to be there. That we would turn to you. That we would lay down those burdens at your feet this morning. That you would meet us where we are, Lord. That you would bring freedom in this place. I ask, Father, that you would just give us the courage to respond to you this morning. Even if it's in the private of our own heart, Lord, whatever the case might be, help us to respond this morning. If there's anyone here this morning that needs, needs salvation, your word says that we're just called to repent, turn away from our sin, to turn to you, accept what Christ has done for us. So I pray for anyone here this morning, if, if they need to pray with somebody about that, that they would uh, meet John and Kyla at the uh, welcome table there and that they would pray that prayer with them. That they would come and be able to lay their life down before you, Lord. I also just, um, just pray for anyone here this morning that is maybe sick and needs healing or whatever, Lord. This is a moment where we're coming and letting your spirit move in our life. So, Lord, let us respond to your spirit today in freedom, and in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.